Derby, former abortionist Anthony Levitino stands for life. John Maxwell reveals the leadership in America. And country stars Thompson Square perform. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbury. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Thank you so much, and welcome to our show. Hey, last weekend, an earthquake shook Washington, D.C., and it rattled the windows when Robert Mueller announced the conclusion of his investigation <laughs> that found absolutely no evidence that President Trump, his family, his campaign, or his associates had anything whatsoever to do with collusion with Russia. Now, we've been lied to. I mean, lied to big. For over two years, the media, especially CNN, MSNBC, The Washington Post, and The New York Times, but pretty much all the media, have reported in over 533,000 articles, resulting in over 245 million media interactions that President Trump had colluded with Russia. John Brennan, the CIA director under President Obama, actually said on television that the President of the United States was guilty of treason. Now, treason is a capital crime punishable by death. That's a pretty serious charge from the man who headed our intel agency when the so-called collusion supposedly happened and should have been both known and been able to be stopped while he was there. Well, by the way, network anchors have spent two years without a single broadcast in which they failed to disparage President Trump. Now, let me be real clear tonight. I'm not speaking as a supporter of the president or a Republican. I'm speaking as an American who respects the rule of law and values the Constitution. But both have been shredded by partisans on the left and more sadly by the people of the press who are supposed to be the people's watchdog and supposed to speak truth to power. But they've turned into the other party's lapdog because they just hated Donald Trump and the deplorables who voted for him. Now, the media tried to overturn the results of the 2016 election, and they still can't accept it. Robert Mueller spent two years and about $30 million of your tax money. He hired mostly hardcore partisan Democrats among his 19 full-time attorneys, many of whom had given money to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Now, in the course of this, they interviewed over 500 witnesses. They produced millions of pages of documents. They tapped people's phones. They confiscated their personal computers and read their emails. They threatened some witnesses with jail time if the witness didn't plead guilty just to get them to turn some kind of evidence against the president, his family, and his staff. And during this time, the media and congressional Democrats told us that they had seen evidence of collusion. Some even guaranteed that members of the Trump family would be indicted and the president wouldn't finish his term. And we were also told that the president would fire Mueller, try to impede the investigation, and obstruct justice. The media and the Democrats, but then I repeat myself, told us that Mueller was the gold standard of integrity and that we could trust his investigation to be fair and honest. Of course, they fully expected that he was going to deliver pretty much every person in the Trump orbit in an orange jumpsuit. Then the report was finished. And even among the Hillary-loving investigators who based the entire process on patently false information that had been supplied by the Hillary campaign, who conveniently paid $9 million to a research firm to make it up, they found nothing. Not one member of the Trump family implicated. And they found no evidence that he had anything to do with the Russians. Now, there was a conspiracy and a cover-up and an attempted coup against the president. It was staged inside the Justice Department and the FBI. And someone needs to be held accountable so we can trust our government again. And I doubt we'll ever trust the media. And by the way, we shouldn't. Their disgrace and embarrassing lack of integrity is only matched by their stubborn refusal to admit how shamefully they've behaved 
and how they've destroyed the institution of the press. The New York Times and Washington Post actually received a Pulitzer Prize for their reporting on the Russian collusion story. The Pulitzer is now officially about as credible as a green ribbon for third place in a high school scrapbook contest, thanks to that great award. One would expect that after the colossal fail of the attempt to bring a president down, both so-called journalists and Democrats in Congress would at best have the common decency to exercise the right to remain silent and just shut up. But one would be wrong. They've doubled down, and they've made fools of themselves desperately trying to keep the flame of collusion alive. I fully expect that Pathetic Congressman Adam Schiff will soon bring charges that Donald Trump kidnapped the Lindbergh baby, that he shot down the Hindenburg, he sunk the Lusitania, and he once tore off the tag on his mattress. <laughs> Boy, I hope the ratings for the so-called news channels like CNN collapse in ashes, and that Americans send congressmen like Schiff home in disgrace, and that responsible Democrats, and there are a lot of them, I hope they'll join Republicans and the president and tend to our business, the people's business, of protecting us, reforming health care, protecting Social Security for the people who have paid into it, fix our broken infrastructure, and yes, make those who abuse their power and positions to try and overthrow a duly elected president accountable by putting them in the very prisons that they reserved for their political enemies. That's what I hope. My first guest is an OBGYN who, in his 20-year practice, once performed nearly 1,200 abortions. He's now a leading figure in the pro-life movement. Please welcome Dr. Anthony Levitino. What was it in your life that changed your view of being an abortionist to being one of the leading pro-life advocates in the country? I trained in uh, my residency program learning to do obstetrics and gynecology and learned to do first and second trimester abortions. And I did 1,200 abortions in a span of about four years. About 10% of them were the D&E abortions. In June of 1984, my, our daughter Heather was exactly two months away from her sixth birthday when she was killed in an auto accident mm. in front of our home. Mm. What do you do after a disaster? You, you bury your child and try to get back into your life. And I don't know how long it was, but I showed up for my next D&E abortion. And a D&E abortion is an absolutely brutal, inhumane procedure. We, let's just say we, we call it dismemberment abortion for a reason. And in the process of starting that abortion and literally tearing out a baby's leg, I just stared at it in the clamp and got sick. And for the first time in my career, I really looked, really looked at that pile of body parts on the side of the table. And I didn't see her wonderful right to choose, and I didn't see what a great doctor I was helping her with her problem, and I didn't even see the $800 cash I just made in 15 minutes. All I could see was somebody's son or daughter. And that was the beginning of the end as far as abortions were concerned for me. Uh, there's a brand new movie. It comes out opening this weekend called Unplanned. And it's the story of Abby Johnson, who ran a Planned Parenthood clinic down in Texas until one day uh, she actually saw what they were doing. The National Motion Picture Association made this film R-rated because they said that the uh, even the rather, rather toned-down depiction of an abortion was too strong. It seems like an incredible hypocrisy on one hand to say that abortion is just a, a surgical procedure and it's perfectly fine and it's normal and it's healthy for a woman, and then to say, but if you actually saw one, it would be repulsive. Speak to that. I will tell you that it is very medically accurate. The uh, movie crews did an excellent job of portraying that. Now, understand no real abortion occurred, although it certainly looks like it did. Uh, but they were the, the what's depicted in the movie is extremely medically accurate. The irony has not been lost on anyone that a 13-year-old can walk into Planned Parenthood and get an abortion without her parents' knowledge or consent, but she can't go see to the movie without being accompanied by a parent. One of the things that is amazing now, we've got many candidates for president, and in two states, uh, efforts to allow 
the killing of the baby if it survives an abortion. And there are state legislators who are celebrating, as they are in New York, over the fact that they can still kill the baby post-birth. How shocked are you that we have come to that point in our civilization? Once a human being is born, that is a person under the law with rights. And that baby is entitled to life and that baby is entitled to medical treatment. Uh, the Born Alive Act was brought forward in the U.S. Senate, and it was defeated. Uh, a similar bill is coming up in the House of Representatives in the near future. This shouldn't even be a consideration. As a matter of law, that is a person and is to be protected under the law. I can't believe we're even having this discussion. Dr. Levitino, do you think we're going to get to the point where society finally looks at this and says this is savagery, this is uncivilized behavior? Will we see that? Are we, are we getting better at that or are, are we going the other way? I think we are getting better at it. You know, over the years, I've, I've spoken at various pro-life uh, functions. I've, spoke I've, I've spoken before high school classes and college classes. And it's interesting, over the decades, I've seen more and more of the children in these classes, uh, especially in high school, for instance, suddenly more and more of these young ones are identifying themselves as pro-life. You know, the technology's out there. They can see what an, you know, what an ultrasound looks like. Um, and I think that this is another reason why unplanned is so important. Uh, I've always said, you know, child labor didn't end until somebody actually got a camera in the factories and showed, and showed people with pictures what is going on. Unplanned goes a long way to showing people what is going on. And I think it's one very important step in exactly what you're talking about. I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for your comments, for your candor, and for your advocacy for the unborn children of America. Um, I hope your voice is listened to by millions of people. Well, our thanks and blessings to Dr. Anthony Levitino. You can see him and learn the truth about what abortion really is at abortionprocedures.com. And please don't let anyone keep you from seeing the movie Unplanned. Ignore that R rating. That's the movie industry's attempt to keep you in the dark. Don't let them do it. Go see the film. And you can learn all about it online at unplannedmovie.com. Now, Keith's got some meticulously planned out information about the rest of the show, and he's standing by to tell us all about it. Well, coming up, America's number one leadership expert, John Maxwell, comedian Todd Oliver, and his dog. And Huck's hero, Becca Stevens, is restoring lives among sex trafficking victims. Lots more Huckabee is on the way. My next guest is a renowned pastor, speaker, best-selling author who was named the most influential leadership expert in the entire world by Business Insider and Inc. Magazine. His new book is called Leadership, The 11 Essential Changes That Every Leader Must Embrace. Would you please welcome a wonderful leader himself, John C. Maxwell. John, welcome. Great nice to be with here. you, Mike. Great to see you. Great to be with you. We're going to talk about the book Leadership, but before we do, I'm going to talk about this one. This thing is heavy. You almost got a hernia <laughs> hold in this yeah, one. Yeah. But what a great, the Maxwell Leadership Bible. Tell me a little bit about what's in here other than, of course, the Bible. Well, you know, for 25 years I was a pastor and loved leadership. So what I did is uh, when I would teach the Word, every time I would be able to bring out a leadership passage, I would have a message on it, et cetera. And so... When my publisher one time said, you know, you've spoken so much on leadership, uh, could you just tie it in with the scriptures? And so I put all my old messages in there. And you know, Mike, what's really beautiful is uh, everything I know about leadership is from the Bible. Huh. Everything. Yeah. And so when I'm in the secular business world, uh, sometimes they'll ask me a question. They'll say like, you know, well, you know, who's the greatest leader? I'll say, well, you know, I'm a person of faith, but I think Jesus is. And then I'll, I'll share with them. I'll say, you know, the things I've been teaching you all day are all from, from, from the Bible. They'll have this kind of this look like, oh, my <laughs> <Yeah>. gosh, you're <laughs> kidding me. Then what I'll do is I'll say, now, but really everything you know about leadership is from the Bible, too. And last year, we're kind of excited about this. Last year, 
Not in, not in churches or, uh, you know, not in, just in the corporate, uh, the secular world, business world. We, through our organizations, we saw 148,000 people come to Christ. Wow. Isn't that beautiful, huh? I mean, that's exciting. Not bad. There are entire denominations who would like <laughs> yeah. to have that kind of thing. Yeah, not bad. I no, it's not just not bad. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And it really shows, though, that God has given you favor. I mean, every book you ever write becomes a New York Times number one bestseller. <laughs> it just goes to the top of the charts. That brings us to the new book, Leadership. And there's a statement in there I want you to expand upon. You say that our real goal is not to be ladder climbers, but ladder holders. Oh, yes. Boy, you yes. got to unpack that for me. Okay, first of all, I always tell people, if you're climbing up the ladder, uh, make sure that when you get to the top, it's leaning against the right building. You know, <laughs> a, a, lot of yeah. a lot of times, Mike, we're, we're just kind of climbing, and all of a sudden we, we find out that we went high, but we lost our purpose. Mm. So anyway, we start off as a ladder climber. But there's more to life than me building my career. So I go from ladder climber to say, well, you know what? I want to help Mike. I want to, I want to add value to him, so I become a ladder holder. Mm. And I say, can I hold your ladder? So that what happens is you can climb a little higher because I'm helping you. But then if I watch you and you really do good while I'm holding your ladder, then I say, okay, I'm going to be a ladder extender for you because I think you have even more potential. And I basically say, you know, extend that ladder, let him go higher. But the ultimate leader shift is when I go from climbing my own ladder to becoming a ladder builder for someone mm. else. And that's when I empower them and I bless them and I say, hey, look, you have gifts. You need to, you need to live your dream and, and let, me, let me bless you as you live that dream. And, and I have found that in my life, that has really been the way it worked. If you could sum it up, what are we missing about leadership that, that would change our lives if we better shifted in that direction? Well, I, I, think, I think we think leadership is a noun. It's a position. <laughs> it's a title. And it's really a verb. Mm. And, and, and what a great leader is, is a, a great leader uh, looks and sees opportunity for himself or herself and the people. And they're always doing the things. They're, they're adjustable. They're adaptable uh, because they realize that the moment comes as a leader and you have to seize that moment right then. And, uh, you, know, it, and uh, you know, when opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. Uh -huh. And so, so leadershifting is all about how to uh, be secure enough in yourself to make changes and to make adjustments, sometimes forward, sometimes backwards, but making adjustments that will allow you to maximize the opportunity to help people, add value to people, and lead them successfully. What's your greatest joy that you have now? I, I love adding value to people. Mm. I, you know, if you really look at the life of Jesus, Mike, and you go through the Gospels, when you come at the end, the thing you have to say about Jesus is how much he valued people. Mm. He just really valued, I mean, people that you and I kind of say, ooh, why are you valuing these people? But, you know, he, he valued everyone. And I love, if you value people, the next step automatically is to add value to them. That's what motivates me. That's what, that's what drives me. That's where the, that's where the energy comes. And, uh, the, you know, the, the fruit of your life should create anticipation, which allows you to just, I, you know, stay in the game maybe a little bit longer. Well, you certainly have, but not just that, but you're the Tom Brady of business speakers. You just keep oh. winning Super Bowls, man. It's amazing. <laughs> just throw that thanks ball. to John C. Maxwell. <laughs> the book is brand new one. you got to get it. Leadership. And I'm going to shift over to Keith because he's going to tell you exactly where you can find it. Well, if you're a leader of a business, church, or even your family, I want to encourage you to get John Maxwell's Leadership, the 11 essential changes every leader must embrace. You can find it on Amazon or your favorite retailer along with the just-released third edition of the Maxwell Leadership Bible, which is full of dynamic lessons and key principles for effectively leading others. And for more on John Maxwell and his work, stay connected with him at johnmaxwell.com. Next, Mike's got hilarious news stories on it, in case you missed it. And get ready for Todd Oliver and his dog Irving. Then, Huck's hero, Becca Stevens. And later, country music stars, Hobson Square, perform on Huckabee.
And welcome back. Well, now, this August 9th through the 18th, we are headed on a private luxury cruise through northern Europe on the beautiful Baltic Seas. I'd love for you to join us. We're going to be visiting St. Petersburg, Finland, Sweden, Denmark, and the secretly wonderful Estonia. Special guests with us will include former U.S. Senator and presidential candidate Rick Santorum, financial expert Dan Celia, lots of great musicians, and the hilarious Shonda Pierce is going to be on board. Trust me, this cruise is going to be the experience of a lifetime. So you can go to thegreatesttrip.com. It's a greatesttrip.com there on your screen. Get all the details. And you ought to sign up today while space is available. I'm looking forward to spending the time with you this August. Well, from hip-hop cheese to plastic grocery bag fashion wear, we've got the stories that will make you laugh on a segment we call In Case You Missed It. Dateline Los Angeles. People in L.A. see some of the most exciting live remotes of police chases anywhere. But tonight, we have the first one that ever ended with a free four show. This suspect led the cops in a chase on Interstate 405 in the San Fernando Valley before finally pulling over and surrendering. Knowing that cameras were rolling up in the air, the driver must have thought, why waste this big break? So he went into a break dance. Now, before he got busted, he busted a move. <laughs> Why, I bet once he gets out of jail, he's going to be a contestant on that great TV show, Dancing with the Cars. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say you can't fight City Hall, but don't tell Jason Windus that. Out in Santa Rosa, California, he built a six-foot fence at his home to keep his dogs in the yard. That makes sense. Well, the city ordered Windus to cut his $9,000 fence down to three feet after one of his neighbors complained that it obstructed the view of traffic at the corner where Jason lived. Now, Mr. Windus felt it was unfair that no other home in the neighborhood was asked to do this, but the city threatened a $500 a day fine until he cut the fence down to three feet so he complied. With a twist. Windus placed four anatomically correct naked mannequins in the yard around his outdoor table and a fifth female standing and holding up her arms. A sign nearby says, reserve seat for nosy neighbor that complained about my fence to the city. <laughs> now his mannequin protest may have cost an arm and a leg, but he's already had dozens of local citizens out taking pictures and telling him his protest idea is great. Oh, and the nosy, the nosy neighbor? I'll bet they miss that privacy fence now and probably wish he'd put it back up. <laughs> hey, do you enjoy cheese? Want to learn how to make the most delicious cheese possible? The answer might be playing a little Kanye West. Researchers in Switzerland recently did a research project called Cheese in Surround Sound to determine the effects that sound waves might have on the microorganisms in cheese. That's got to be a government project. Nobody else would even think about doing this, playing music to cheese, okay? Now, when I first heard about this study, I thought to myself, you Gouda Brie kidding me? <laughs> Keith, I'm thinking some of our audience here tonight is lactose intolerant. What do you think? <laughs> all right, the cheese researchers who were all looking feta feta sharp took nine 22-pound wheels of cheese and they played different genres of music to each one, day and night, for six months. Everything from Mozart to Led Zeppelin, from jazz to hip-hop. And of course, one poor control cheese wheel sat in silence. You still wonder why they didn't play Beyonce. But here's the big news. Technologists said the cheese wheel that listened to hip-hop had a discernibly stronger smell and stronger fruitier taste than the other test samples. Now, the one thing never mentioned in this story that was for the taste test to take place, one of the technologists had to, wait for it, cut the cheese. <laughs> okay, I completely realized that joke was no Gouda, so we're going to move on. Hey, we've all heard that you should recycle your plastic grocery bags. Well, 75-year-old Rose Ferrigno of Greece, New York, decided to turn hers into fashion. 
So she cut plastic bags from Wegmans supermarket into strips, tied those into longer strips like yarn, then using giant knitting needles, she whittled out of dowels, you see she recycles everything, she knitted the plastic bags into a suit. The jacket and the skirt took 170 grocery bags each, and it took her two months to do it. The grocery bag suit is attractive, stylish, and it's definitely waterproof. Let me assure you, as someone who lived through the 1970s, wearing a suit made out of plastic is just not that comfortable. <laughs> At the time, I thought it was seersucker, but I was just the sucker who bought it at Sears. <laughs> and you know, people say, everything's bigger in Texas. Well, that sure was the case at a Petco down there. A rancher decided to test their all-leash pets are welcome policy. So he brought in Oliver, his 1,600-pound Africa Watusi steer on a leash. The ranchers said the staff welcomed him with open arms, but they stayed up front and kept Oliver out of the aisles. Well, should be with those long horns. This is a certainly cute, feel-good story, but now I'm worried that the next time I fly, someone's going to try and bring their emotional support steer <laughs> on board the plane. Well, just like the Mayan calendar back on December 21st, 2012, we've run out of time. But always remember, we read the news. Well, my next guest was a top four finalist on America's Got Talent, and he was ranked by the David Letterman Show as one of the top five ventriloquists in the entire world. I guarantee you have never seen anyone quite like him. Would you please welcome Todd Oliver and Irving? Great to be here. If you love dogs, let me hear you say woof. woof. Well, then you'll love my dog. This is Irving. He's a terrier. He's 10 years old. He's my best friend. He's real smart. Watch. Irving, speak. I got a kitty Shanita. She can't be. I got a kitty Shanita. She can't be. It's untied. I think she's on no need and Oh, they're freaking out now. We got a good looking audience. A lot of old people out there. <laughs> Irving looks like the last Sutter with the original cast. <laughs> they're staring at us. Well, some of them aren't sure if you're alive and real. I'm not sure the old man in the front row is alive and real. <laughs> you guys can stare as much as you want. You are watching a live animal. So am I. Ooh, the old man in the front row. <laughs> Do you know why they're all watching us? Yeah, it's free. <laughs> We're on the Huckabee Show. Huckabee, now what do you say? Sarah! Sarah! Listen, Mike Huckabee is in Tennessee. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is in Washington, D.C., working for our president. And you know, if he's watching, you know what he's thinking. Sarah! <laughs> what do you know about the, the president? I know he ain't got a dog, so I'm going to be his dog. <laughs> what about me? You're fired. <laughs> Who told you to say that? Donald Trump. <laughs> All right, if you were the president's dog, what would be his first command? Sick him. <laughs> Who? You know all those guys in Hollywood that said they moved to Canada, he got elected? Yeah, I'm gonna chase him up there. <laughs> what would be your title? Secretary of Defense. <laughs> what does that mean? I'll build a fence and they can't get back in. <laughs> Are you having a good time in Nashville? Yeah, I had a date with a chicken last night. Got there, she had a heart attack. Where'd you go? Chick-fil-A. <laughs> well, that's terrible. No, I didn't have to take her home, then I got a free dinner. <laughs> what do you do? I throw my voice. Let's see you do it. I just did. 
Well, no, that's it. Ventriloquism. Who did it? I did it. I didn't see it. Irving, I just did it. Well, there. No, who did it? I did it. I didn't see it. Right there. Who? You know, and right there. Who did it? I did it. How do you know that's it? Who did it? I did it. How do you know that's it? Who did it? I did it. You did it right there. Who did it? Me. How do you know that's it? That's it. Get it? Got it? Good. Okay, that's it, right? Ventriloquism. <laughs> well, I bet you can't do it again. Say hello. Hello. What happened? You missed. <laughs> what else can you say? God bless our president and God bless America. Irving, everybody. Come on. Well, what a wonderful audience we have here tonight. Maybe I get some help. Uh, gentleman in the green shirt, could you come up and help tonight? Lori, where are you? Yeah, I talked to her earlier. Let's give these folks a big hand. Come up here. Hi, Lori. Hi, Brent. Hi. Good to have you here. Hi, come on over here. Hi, come right over here. Step right over here. We're glad. I just met you a little bit ago. What's your name, sir? Brandon. Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Great. Hello, dear. Say your name again now. Yeah, Lori. That's right. Okay. Well, what we're going to do, this is so simple. A little ventriloquism. Uh, when I squeeze your neck, just open your mouth. Okay? When I'm done squeezing, close it. That's all I got to do. Okay? When you open your mouth, open it real wide. Don't make any noise. Now, come a little closer here, Miss Lori, and look at, look at the crowd. Here we go. Okay? That's right. As wide as you can, Lori. Oh, yeah. Much better. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Don't worry, they won't fall out. It's okay, all right? There you go. Okay. Here's Brandon, look at the crowd. It's so simple, all right? There you go. Very good. Yeah, see? Yeah. It's nice bridge work you have in the back, too. Okay. Now let's keep going. Look at the audience. Hello, Lori. Yeah! <laughs> well, you're Lori, huh? Yeah! Got a nice crowd, huh? Yeah! Is that your friends over there, huh? Yeah! Boy, they're proud of you now, huh? Yeah! Keep your tongue in, lady. Yeah! Okay, there you go. Look out there. Hello, Brandon. Ew. <laughs> well, you're Brandon. Ew. <laughs> Something tells me Brandon's a country boy. Ew. <laughs> lady, you want to sing? Yeah! Okay. You want to hear the nice lady sing? Ew. <laughs> Come on, Lori, take it away. Sing. Yeah. No, no, my only sunshine. She's good. Ew. That's right. <laughs> Pretty good. Come on, they were great. Let's hear it. Huh? <laughs> hey, Todd, welcome. Hey, listen, I'm excited to have you here, but don't you touch my neck. <laughs> uh, I got to ask you about Irving, because, yes. I mean, he uh -huh. is phenomenal. Yeah. Has he ever messed up? Uh, well, that depends on your description, of course. Oh, of course, yes. Uh, uh, no, you know, no, sometimes he forgets the lines, but what can I do? <laughs> When you go to a restaurant, who, who orders? Uh, <laughs> you or, uh, <laughs> Tell you what, you know, he's, every time I go to, I'm, the, I'm on the touring theaters and churches. Yeah. You know? Well, I have a steak maybe twice a week. Uh -huh. I always order a good size one. I bring half of it home for him and Irving Jr. They both travel with me, you know. So, yeah. Well, I tell you, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, these two folks you had on this stage, they'll never speak to you again. <laughs> I, I gotta, have you ever thought about running for Congress? <laughs> I mean, you already know how to talk out of both sides of your mouth. I figure it's a, a, it's a perfect, no one is better prepared. I mean. And I've worked a dummy for a long time. <laughs> right? yeah. Boy, that's so true. You have, you have fun doing this, don't you? It's a blessing. Yes. Well, I hope you get to play the White House soon. It I is hope so, so too. nice Thank to you, have Governor. you here. I tell you, loved what you did. Our thanks to Todd Oliver and Irving. I'm going to let Keith Bilbrey tell you how you can see more of them. And notice that at no time while Keith is talking will you see my lips moving. <laughs> to learn more about Todd Oliver, Irving, and all the other hilarious characters in his act, along with his albums, videos, and tour schedule, and to book him for your event, just visit funnydog.com. And don't miss Irving's blog. It's all about funnydog.com. Coming up, Huck's hero Becca Stevens is restoring broken lives through Thistle Farm. 
plus country music stars Thompson Square on Huckabee. Welcome back. So glad you're staying with us and you're going to want to. Because our next guest refused to ignore the terrible problem of sex trafficking. She took in five women affected by trafficking, now has built justice enterprises to reach thousands. And that's why she is tonight's Huck's Hero. manufacturer manager. When we make the products, we make the products to help another woman come in off the streets. Our products are handmade and made with a lot of love. We have the best products. My name is Lolita Hoard. Without this program and without this Farms, I would have been lost. So just knowing that someone else is giving back to help me keep being the person that I am today makes me feel so good someone buys a product in your own way, that's lighting a candle too, because that's helping to pave the way for the next woman that's coming in. Because I messed up, I thought I was just, you know, like anybody else, just throw me away and like be done with her. But they, this community wasn't like that. Like they gave me a second chance. My big year was last year, the end of last year. I moved into my own apartment, got my own car, got my driver's license. Thank you for the support, thank you for the time, thank you for the love um, that you put into this mission because it helps women like me reunite with their kids, um, get a second opportunity. It helps women like me to make a difference, to feel like they've accomplished something, that they're doing something for the greater good. Meet our Huck's hero. She's an author, a speaker, and justice entrepreneur. And I like the way that sounds. Our guest is a champion for change. Please welcome the founder and president of Thistle Farms, Becca Stevens. Becca, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having what me. What an honor. Becca, we hear so much today the term sex trafficking, but how big an issue is this? How big of a problem? How many people are affected by it? It's a global problem that goes into, I mean, like any community that you go in that has an interstate or an internet, mm. you know, it's a problem. And on average, the women that we serve are first raped between the ages of 7 and 11 and first Gosh. hit the streets between about 14 and 16. So it happens to our kids. Becca, something must have happened in your heart when you said, I'm going to do something about this. What was it that just unlocked that in you that you wanted to go after these women and help and restore their lives and rescue them from the streets? For me, my dad died when I was little. He was a minister and he was killed by a drunk driver. Oh gosh. And then it was a pastor in the church that began abusing me and it went on for several years. And I think I always knew the church could be better. I always knew that community could do better by people. And so I wanted, I got ordained in the Episcopal church. Um, 27 years ago and wanted to really start something for women that could be saying, I want to be on this journey with you about reclaiming your lives and about saying we can preach good news just by our actions and by what we're doing. Did you have any idea that that desire to help a few women would turn into something of global consequence with products that are literally taking women off the streets and empowering them to live a life? No. Could you have seen that? No, thank God. I, that's what makes it a faith journey is you yeah. just kind of love people and then watch what happens, how it can grow exponentially and that we can be lavish, we can be economical, we can be 
prophetic. We can be all of these things if we're just loving people. You have a book. It's called Love Heals. It's, it's also what you call a lot of your products, Love Heals. Why does love heal when nothing else does? Why is it such a great medicine? You know, all our journeys begin and end with God. And so this journey all the way through has to be about recognizing that love and its healing power. And I don't mean in a magical way like we go, I love you, boom, you're all better. Yeah. I really mean about like going, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to provide the time and the space and the resources for you to do this work, which is a journey to being reunited with your creator, reunited with your community. And, and how do you help these women? What is it that they get when they show up at Thistle Farms? So they come and they can live two years rent-free. They create community. About four years into it, we realized poverty was one of the most violent parts of this whole world for those women that made them so violent, I mean vulnerable. So that's when we started the first social enterprise making bath and body care products. So then it grew to about 50 communities in the U.S. So there's about 210 beds now that are long-term beds for women. And then we have 26 now global partners. I just finished a month-long tour in, where was I? <laughs> Ecuador, Belize, and Mexico. That's where I was. So when people are buying these products, they're actually helping women to have a life, to get them off the streets. I mean... I would put more than a million and a half dollars back into the pockets of survivors last year just by selling products. You know, women are not just making the products. They are the dis distributors. They are the people who are pulling the products off the shelf and doing fulfillment. They're the ones doing the sales team. They're the ones going out to do the education and training in churches. Becca, what a wonderful story. I hope everybody in America not only says, thank you, Becca, mm. but also says, how do I get those products? That's what I, I hope they say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really do. And by the way, you can learn more about Becca Stevens' work at thistlefarms.org, which is where you can also get your hands on her book. It's called Love Heals. The first chapter I love, it's called Love Heals Through Creativity. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. There are many natural bath, body, and home products. They're handcrafted by the women survivors. You bless them at the same time while you're pampering yourself or your loved ones. Great gift ideas. All of that at thistlefarms.org. Hey, Keith, just so you know, the staff is thinking about getting you some of those soaps. Yes. And that's why we keep you way over there, just so you know. But why don't you go ahead until we get those soaps ordered, you tell us what we have coming up. I get your vibe, yeah. Stick around. We have Country Music's Thompson Square here to tell us all about their new children's book and perform right here on Huckabee. Well, my next guests are an award-winning country music duo with number one hit songs like Are You Gonna Kiss Me or Not? and If I Didn't Have You. More than just a successful singing duo, Kiefer and Shauna Thompson are also husband and wife. Would you please make welcome Thompson Square. <laughs> thank you guys for being here. Hi, thank you for having us. So how did you first meet and was it a love at first sight or was it love at first sound? It was, uh, you know, it was kind of love at first sight. Uh, we met back in 1996 uh, from Alabama and Oklahoma, respectively. I walked into a place called the Nashville Palace, which is, at the time, was, it was one of the only few, the few places that you could go as a singer, get up with a, a band and, and try to win some big money, you know, $20, $30. Yeah. <laughs> which was big money. Then, really big money. Yeah. Um, so I walked in and uh, I, I saw her. She was up at the bar signing up uh, with her song and, and getting ready for the show or whatever. And I walked in, I saw her, and I was just like, Wow, man, this is something else. And and uh, I, I immediately went up to her and pulled out some of my best lines. <laughs> yeah. What were those best lines? Are you going to tell us? Well, I said, you know, you, you know how to play pool. <laughs> you know, I, I was cause there was a pool table handy. I was like, well, that, that might work. Yeah. And um, she said, sure. You know. So. I, I didn't tell him that my dad owned a pool hall and an arcade when oh, I was a kid. Yeah, she didn't tell me that. So it's really you good. You hustled at pool. him. I did. She I did. did. It, was, it was embarrassing, but I thought, you know what? If, if uh, you know, not that you know, girls are, are better than pool players and men, or, or vice versa, but I said, if I can find somebody 
who can destroy me at pool, I should probably stick with this girl, you know? <laughs> now, so how hard is it to perform together, hard. to rehearse? <laughs> Stop it. Boy, that didn't wait long. Uh, I mean, it's got to be kind of tough because you're together all day and you tour together right. and you sing together and you record together and all these things. Yeah. Uh, so uh, do you sometimes say, I've had enough of you? you? You know, the hard part, I think, is we never get to miss each other. Ah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we love doing what we do together. I couldn't imagine standing up there and, and looking over and him not singing there with me. But um, it's just a, it is a, it's a people ask us all the strange. time, how do you do it? How do you do it? And we don't really have a good answer. We just, we're just best friends, you know? What's been the biggest thrill? I mean, was it the Grammy nomination? Was that the biggest thrill in the, in the career? That was a pretty big one. Square? Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, you know, growing up, uh, WSM and uh, the Grand Ole Opry was kind of just, that was the pinnacle, because my dad worked for a national life insurance company, which started that whole thing. So it was like, if you ever get the, if you can make it on the Opry stage, if you can get it on the Grand Ole Opry, man, you've made it, you know? And, and uh, the night that we debuted on the Opry and John Conley brought us on, uh, both all of our parents came and they sat in the front. And so I'm sitting there and I'm looking at my mom and dad and I'm just like, keep it together. <laughs> keep it together. Did and they I, keep it together? You know, I was talking about me. Oh, <laughs> you. I was talking about me. Yeah, I don't want to worry about them. Did you keep it together? I, I did. I, I did. Now, one of the big life changes that you guys have had, uh, not only Grammys and all this stuff, but you had a baby. We, we did. did. Like three years ago, right? Yeah. And it's not so, a baby anymore. <laughs> not a baby anymore. But you've written a book for children, Time to Get Dressed. This looks like a real practical thing, like you had to uh, do some personal experience about getting a, a little boy dressed, right? Well, and well, I, I appreciate you having us after the intellect of the book that was just out here. It's like, oh, and here's this guy. I can guy. read this one. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy. Yeah. I like this. Well, I was saying, the, the pages are thick, so you don't have to write that much. How did you, uh, what, what was the inspiration behind the book? What, what did you say? I, we want to write a book about a kid. Well, actually, Kiefer, um, he's an amazing dad, by the way. I have to say that first and foremost. Um, he was upstairs getting Cooper ready for the day. He was about nine months old at the time. And uh, he was actually getting him dressed, and he started singing this little song, socks, socks, one by one. I said, what is that? Is it something your mom used to sing to you uh -huh. as a kid? And uh, he said, no, I just made it up. And I was like... You need to finish that, like seriously. Just go down. It's more like go downstairs and yeah, buy that right now. Yes, get down. That's a hat. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he did. He went downstairs and finished it out, and then uh, we were super excited about it. We sent it to our manager, and our manager was like, "Oh my goodness, you have to make this into a book." And um, it's been. We found an amazing artist to, to illustrate it, and. Uh, Never in a million years did we dream we'd have a kid's book. Well, we're so excited to have you guys here and uh, not just to talk and tell us about the book, but we're going to make some music here in just a little bit. Yeah. Sounds great. So I want to say thanks to Kiefer and Shauna for joining us. And Keith, while we're getting ready to play some music, why don't you tell the folks at home how they can connect up with Thompson Square? Well, you can get a copy of their new kid's book, Time to Get Dressed, as well as their album, Masterpiece, at thompsonsquare.com. That's where you can also find out when they'll be performing in your town. That's thompsonsquare.com. Coming up, Thompson Square performs their song, Masterpiece. Huckabee's back in 60 seconds. And now, here to perform the title track of their album, Masterpiece, give it up for Thompson Square. Spend a lifetime trying to somehow leave them waiting and waiting, grand inspiration to spark to leave behind something to remember, something everyone has heard of. Some people build it, some people paint it.
Yeah. 